This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, June 24th, the built-in babysitter, question mark, edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is eight years old, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, former Mom and Dad are Fighting co-host. I live in New Hampshire, and my kids are Henry, who is 19, Teddy, who is 18, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who just turned, wait for it, 21 years old. Wow. Yeah, it's a thing. Wow. How does it feel to be able to go to a bar with someone you helped to raise? Oh, it's fantastic. Well, um, to be fair, when we travel and the drinking age is younger, my I've been to bars with my kids plenty of times. <laughs> but um, it's it's what's really fun about it isn't so much like the passing on of like our, you know, family drinking culture or whatever, but the casualness with which, you know, we got takeout the other night from our little local tavern that's still doing takeout, even though the pandemic has sort of gotten really chill here where I live. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sent Kevin with Lily down early. I'm like, why don't you guys go down early? Grab a drink in the bar. It was really it's just really fun to sort of have somebody who feels like they have agency in the world 21 really is like the last hurdle for teens that they feel like they're ever going to get to and even though I think people in their early 20s are still kids sorry if you're in your early 20s listening to this you're still a kid until you're like 30 seriously you just you'll realize it later trust me Um, it's a huge barrier for them it makes them feel like they are whole in the world and it's just really fun to watch oh well congratulations to you both thanks and I also I need I'm thinking about future travel now with a map of the world that shows me where teenagers can drink so I can have <laughs> more fun when we travel as a family. There are also a lot of places where um, there might be an age, but nobody cares. <laughs> That's what we've learned. I mean, I remember like I think oh, I hate to say this, but I think Henry was like 15, and we were somewhere in the Caribbean, and he um, figured out that if he just ordered a drink in front of me, like like at the pool bar or whatever, that I would be too embarrassed to say anything to him and that like my silence would be tacit approval. And so they just like, I was like, I don't know. So we had to talk about it later. But like in the moment, I just felt like so numb and stunned that I didn't want to be like seen as the parent whose kid would even do that in front of her. So yeah, it was a whole thing. Anyway, none of my kids are actually alcoholics. I think they are very within the boundaries of what would be considered, um, well, I'm sure some people don't feel this way, but I do, sort of the normal exploration of alcohol. Yes. Like, um, reasonable yeah. teen drinking. Yes, reasonable teen drinking. But I, I do stand by the fact that I think uh, complete abstinence for anything for your kids does invite gluttony later. So we've always erred on the side of if you're interested in trying the wine, just go ahead and try the wine. Makes a lot of sense to me. I had to sneak and try the wine. But I will say the fact that I was able to drink a whole lot as a teenager and explore before it was my time made it a whole lot less attractive. Like when I got there, it wasn't like, and now I have to have it all tonight. That's for everyone. That's for everyone. It's like, okay, I've been here before. I've been on the other side of throwing up in front of my mother. I, I, I get it. I don't have to do this again. 
<laughs> On today's show, we have a question from a parent who's wondering if older step-siblings should be expected to babysit younger step-siblings, even if they're less than thrilled about the prospect of that responsibility. Then we'll be advising a mom who's worried about some behaviors that her husband uh, is doing in front of their son. And she's also concerned that he's self-medicating himself with video games and using coercive tactics with her. Uh, We are giving you a warning now that there are some potentially upsetting themes in uh, the second question, including suicide. And so we will give you plenty of time to stop the tape, fast forward, um, and rejoin us in another part of the show. Uh, And we will have the timestamp in the show notes if you're not interested in listening to that part of the podcast. On Slate Plus, we're going to be talking about the death Well, the sharp decline, I should say, of Karen. Rather, the decline of people wanting to name their babies Karen, a crazy new movie called Karen, and how our guest Rebecca avoids being a Karen in real life. But before we get into that, of course, we're going to kick off the show with some triumphs and fails. Rebecca, do you have for us on your return a triumph or a fail? I have a triumph, and it's... um. I, yeah, I don't know how much I can claim responsibility for it, but it was just really weird but cool. So Teddy graduated high school a couple of weeks ago, and we threw a party for him here at the house. It was really our first like post-pandemic people can come over gathering. Full disclosure, really, New Hampshire is very ahead of a lot of other places in vaccinations. Everyone I know has been vaccinated for weeks and weeks. So we decided to throw this party. And w- the first cool triumph was that my ex-husband, the kid's dad, came over for breakfast a few weeks ago and asked if we could do it together. And I was like, fuck yeah, we can. It's like what I always wanted, right? I've always wanted like cool, collaborative, like chill relationship with my ex-husband around the kids. We are finally there like 10 plus 13 years after our divorce or whatever. The second part of the triumph is that the weather was literally the nicest day in the history of weather. It was perfect. So everyone was able to be outside. We had lawn games. My ex-husband brought like really good beer from Vermont. We had a gin and tonic station, lots of stuff for adults to do, lots of stuff for kids to do. But the really cool part is that we had exes of exes. My husband's ex-wife came with my stepdaughter and my ex's ex-wife came who was formerly stepmother to my kids it's kind of a long story but they're back together now they're like yeah they're together but they're not remarried so it's their ex and whatever but it was like literally every parent everybody who's ever had a parenting role uh for the kids were all there and we were just chill it was like it wasn't weird i mean maybe it was weird but like we just pretended it wasn't so it was great and it was just really really lovely and surreal and cool and i just kept thinking you know, as much as I wish I'd always wanted it to be this way, but there were yeah. so many reasons why it wasn't going to be. It just feels really good to be there now. Now I am not dreading oh. anybody's wedding. I am not dreading the birth of any future grandchildren. It just feels like, you know, probably the tensest relationship is probably me and my husband's girlfriend slash ex, uh, just yep. because of some shit that went down when we were all probably in both directions be fully like fair but like it was fine it was completely chill she came with her teenage kids I told her how great it was that her teenage Aww. kids were still so friendly to my kids and it was lovely I couldn't have been happier with how the whole thing worked out that's so good Rebecca congratulations thanks I feel like I'm in the Jamila zone like you guys have the friend thing it's so it's so enviable I, you know I'll say this we skipped over some I think stuff to get to that place and we've had to kind of confront it recently 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, yep. we're still here. We're not leaving that place. You know what I mean? But I think that us wanting to be there so badly meant that we just kind of glossed over a lot of things. Hmm. So it's a process to be in this place is what I'm realizing. I thought it was just like, hey, we're here. Everybody's friends. We're cool. Everything's cool. And it's like, no, this is still, yeah. you know, it's something that can be difficult or has, you know, there, there are things that need to be addressed and managed as would be a marriage, right? As would any re- right. serious relationship. But To be able to come together at times like that feels so good, you know, that Mm -hmm. we're able to do birthdays together now and graduations and all that stuff. So I'm very happy to welcome you to this side of co-parenting. It feels good to have the whole family together. And it's so good for the kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they think it's weird, frankly. Like, they think the whole thing with their that yeah. – they're like, this is weird, but I think it's great. And, you know, it's funny that you should say that because I have thought in the last couple of years, and we've been getting along really well, me and my ex, about, like, should we have, like, a conversation where we just, like, apologize to each other for stuff? Mostly him. Uh, apologizing to me. Uh, but <laughs> – no, just kidding. If you're listening, he's not. But if you are. Uh, you know, should we have that conversation? Yeah. But I've decided instead we're just going to – I want. I really want to tackle it through positive reinforcement. So I've been saying things like – this is really great. I'm so glad we're finally here. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm not being like, hey, I'm so glad you're not an asshole anymore. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or the things that I would have said. Yep. You know, I mean, it, I think it's fair to say in retrospect, when you get to a place like this, you're able to see your own contribution to a toxic dynamic Absolutely. Um, more. And so, you know, I'll never, I don't think anyone will ever think it was 50% them. I certainly will never think that. Yep. But... I'm very comfortable with where we are, and I feel like it's so so much time has passed that we can live in positive reinforcement land, yes. if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Positive reinforcement land is the place <laughs> to be. So what about you? Do you have a triumph or a fail? I have a triumph. Ooh. Uh, my mother is here. She was actually our guest on the show last week. She has been in town since May 10th. It's June 22nd. It's been great, but that's a very long visit. You know, and so it's kind of her house right now, um, which just kind of tends to happen when she comes to visit. So I'm used to 50 percent of the time having this house to myself. And now that folks are vaccinated and the world is open, I might have spent some of that 50 percent of that time that I'm here without Naima with other people in the house. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I might've had company, any number of types of company, you know, and I haven't been able to do that. Um, I haven't been able to have my own company, you know, unless I leave the house. So I've been doing my night drives and taking my laptop and working at the park during the day and stuff. It's been great having her here and her and Naima are very, very close. And Naima has been here a whole lot more than 50% of the time for the past month to soak up all this grandma love. But my triumph uh, is that we had extended her trip. She was supposed to leave on the 15th. And then um, we decided that she would stay until the 4th, even though I was kind of like, ah, because that's now two holiday weekends where there was parties and debauchery and things. And I had my mom in the house. So like, imagine me at 36 years old, like quietly coming in at three in the morning, you know, drunk because my mom fell asleep on the couch and I don't want to bother her. I mean, I can't get in trouble per se, but like, yeah. this is still not ever going to be fun for me to come in drunk, trying to cook in my own kitchen, you know, and I hear my mom shifting around. And anyway, Naima's going to Arizona with her dad and his family. And um, it's a trip. Actually, the real triumph is that I took us out of this trip. It's his mother, his uh, mother-in-law, you know, some of her family members, him, his wife, the kids, and he invited my mom and I. And in theory, wow. that is such a great idea. But in reality, 
all family travel is kind of hell. And like, there's no outlet in this for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not a vacation. It's a family trip. This is a family trip. Yeah. Right. And so now with Naima going on this family trip, she's not only out of my house for a week, she's out of town. And so my triumph was that I told my mother, you know, I think it would be best that you left around the same time Naima did. You know, it really would mean a lot for me to have some time to myself in the house. We've had a really good trip. We've extended it a bit. But, you know, as soon as she comes back from her trip, she's going to be all over me. You know what I mean? Like she's going to want to come back and I'm not getting any downtime. Everybody's getting downtime with me. I can't do this. And she said, okay. And we rebooked and it's fine. And I'm going to get my house back to myself in seven days. Wow. Yes. Congratulations. And the conversation went well. You don't feel like there's any lingering passive aggression hanging in the air or anything like that? Not at all. I felt her not being super enthusiastic. But like the more we talked, she was just kind of like, yeah, it's time for me to go home. I miss my house. Like I miss my, like I need to get back. I was like, yeah, you know. Good for you. Now let's take care of some business. First things first, subscribe to the show, please. It helps us out tremendously, and the show will pop up on your feed whenever there's a new episode. You don't have to go looking for us. We will come to you. It's a win-win. We win. You win. Everybody wins. And if you want even more mom and dad are fighting, you should become a Slate Plus member. Slate Plus members get a whole bonus segment of mom and dad are fighting every single week. And here's a sneak peek of what you would get if you were a member yourself. I grapple with trying to do my best to walk that line between the two kinds of Karens. Because there is a Karen to me on the other side, too. Not only will you get extra fun segments like that, you'll even get bonus episodes for shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood and unlimited reading on the Slate website. So if you want to support us, and we sure could use it, and support Slate, sign up for Slate Plus. It's only a dollar for the first month. Just go to slate.com slash momanddadplus. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content, including care and feeding, mom and dad are fighting, and much more. It's also a personal email from our friend Dan Qua every week. Sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get on to our first listener question. It's being read, as always, by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. What are your thoughts on a 16-year-old stepchild being asked to watch a step-sibling? We, their parents, want to go out for an evening. But the older sibling doesn't want to babysit. Is it reasonable for our 16-year-old to never have to babysit just because they don't want to? Rebecca, what do you think? All right, so... 
why would you want someone with your kids who doesn't want to be with them is my first question. (laughs) It's just not a good, I mean, so there's a couple of things going on here. One is the way you're making it sound, it does not sound like you're planning on paying for this babysitting time. It sounds like you need to watch your younger sibling and it's just going to be a thing you have to do, just like emptying the dishwasher or mowing the lawn or whatever. So that's one thing which you might want to reconsider putting money in the equation because it might help. Second, there's a, a step dynamic here, which is one of the reasons why I think this question is interesting because there is a sort of built-in expectation, I think, for older siblings to watch younger siblings in non-blended families, you know, but even then, sometimes the older kid is like, I don't want to do that. And I I just have to be honest with you, like, if they don't want to do it, and it's a step, it does add a layer there, whether you feel like your family is fully integrated or not, there is a layer sort of of inherent tension with kids and their step parents and step siblings. And, you know, I don't know if your 16 year old might be thinking like, hey, I have other stuff I want to do. I want to be playing video games. I want to be chatting with my friends. I want to be secretly watching porn or whatever it is your 16 year old wants to do. Or if they're thinking like, this kid isn't my responsibility. Like, I, I, I don't want to do this. I didn't sign up for this. So the thing that you should remember either uh, in both situations, the non-blended family, blended family, but especially the blended family, is that it's not your older kid's fault that you had more kids. So the expectation that they will want to do this labor on your behalf needs to be set you know, a little bit differently. It needs to be negotiated if they're not all gung-ho about it. You might want to pay them. You might want to make it the same kind of extra work incentive, the same that you might do if um, if you normally hire someone to mow your lawn and then your kid does it one week. Maybe you'll throw them a few bucks just because you have established that that work has value. Uh, and I would talk about it in a very adult way with a 16-year-old. I would say, this work has value. I understand you're not super into it, but how about we make it a job? I just go back to it, though. I mean, why Why do you want someone hanging out with your younger kid who doesn't want to be with them? Like you would never hire a babysitter who, uh, for 15 bucks an hour who was like, well, I don't really want to, but sure, I'll take your money and come over. You would never hire that person. I think the solution here is to split it somewhere down the middle. Tell your 16-year-old, all right, if you don't want to do it, we're going to hire someone. But that means there's going to be another person in the house who is going to be like checking in on you too. And that's cool with you. That's fine. But if you want to do it, we'll just give you the money instead. That's how I would frame it. I think you might have a very different conversation. But I would not forget when you're having that conversation, the step dynamic. It's real whether you feel it or not. I 100% agree with all of that. I would just add one, a couple questions like, is this a two year old or a nine year old? You know what I mean? Like, I'm curious to know if this person is equipped to deal with this child, Mm. right? Like, has this child babysat anyone before, right? right? Like, just because you have a sibling doesn't mean that you're good with kids. And this person was not raised with this kid from day one to now to, you know what I mean? So they don't necessarily have child care by proxy experience, let alone experience with this child. I agree with Rebecca. I don't think you know, an, an adopted sibling, a biological sibling, a step sibling, any sibling that is an unwant, you know, unwilling babysitter should be your last resort. But if there's something else to the dynamic between these two kids that needs to be addressed, like I think you should address that and you must address it before you even consider a paid babysitting situation, right? Yeah. Like, a- again, I-, I think that the risk that you run by going to this kid is 
as the babysitter is what Rebecca said that like this is already a complicated situation and now and now I have to watch this child you know it's just you're asking for not great results so I think what we are in strong agreement on here is that no this child (laughs) shouldn't be obligated to babysit um and if you were to need to or desperately wish to have them babysit that you should both deal with the capability of the child to babysit what their relationship looks like and paying them for their labor because babysitting is labor yeah you know it's funny you you, you dug at some of the step issues that um i was thinking about too you know there's a lot with blended families where I think some parents, I've experienced this myself, not in my relationship, but watching it in my uh, ex-husband's relationship, where there's just an expectation. We're all together now. We're a family now. We're going to behave like a family. We're going to be a family. We're going to travel together. We're going to do things that families do. Like, the kids don't feel that way. They just don't. Unless, like, that happened when one of the kids was, like, one and they don't know any different. That is not the way kids who had a more developed brain feel ever about their step family, um, except in very rare circumstances. I mean, I've been a step to Lily since 2010. Uh, Yesterday, we went on this big shopping trip together and I bought her a bunch of clothes and stuff. And I realized like, oh my God, this is like literally the first time we've ever done this. We've never just Mm -hmm. like gone to the outlets for the day together and like bought stuff and like shopped around. I mean, we've spent time alone together. I've bought her things in the past, but it's always been sort of one-offs. And the reason why we've never done it is because that is a thing that she does with her mom. And I've never Mm -hmm. been interested in encroaching on that just because I'm a woman and you're a a girl and we're supposed Mm -hmm. to do this together because we're a family. Like, they didn't ask for it. (laughs) So why do we try to force it on him? It seems very, very normal to expect that an older sibling would babysit a younger sibling. It seems like it should just be part of the familial obligation. That can be complicated, too. But yeah, the step thing adds layers, layers and layers and layers. Everything you ask your stepkid to do, you should have those layers in mind when you ask them to do it. Absolutely. Um, That is the context for your relationship from when it begins until uh, it ends. Thank you so much for submitting your quandary for our consideration. I hope that we were helpful. Um, If you have an update, of course, we'd love to hear it. And if you are listening and have a question, please shoot us an email at slate.com or do what this listener did and post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. We're going to move on to our second listener question, again, being read by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, suicide is a theme in this letter and will be referenced a few times in the conversation uh, to follow. So if you're not interested in hearing this part of the podcast, please look to the show notes and find out where you can join us back for the rest of the episode. Hello, mom and dad. I've been listening to mom and dad since Allison was on the show, even though I just recently became a parent. I'm hoping for some help with a dilemma. My husband and I have a one-year-old son who is an absolute delight and a terror all at the same time. Both my husband and I struggle with depression and anxiety, but we treat it in very different ways. I use medication and therapy. My husband really doesn't do anything except play video games, which is his way of decompressing. I've encouraged medication, to which he replies, I'm too type A. I can't not be in control of my own body. I've encouraged therapy, to which he replies, I know just as much as therapists, so they wouldn't be able to help. 
He tells me not to nag him, and I realize that I can't really force him to do anything. However, he has some behaviors that I am concerned about my son seeing and hearing. He will often mime shooting himself in the head or stabbing himself. We don't have guns in the house, but we do have knives, and sometimes he will even get a knife and pretend to stab himself. The other day, he very vividly described killing himself because I hadn't responded to a text. I'm the main breadwinner and caregiver for our son. My days can be a little hectic. While my son is still little right now, I can't help worrying that he will start to mimic his dad at some point, and eventually intentionally or unintentionally hurt or even kill himself. I worry that he will think suicide is an option. I recognize that I may be in an anxiety spiral over this, and I'm doing things to help it, but my real question is, what can I do to help my husband? Or at least get him not to do these things in front of my son, but ideally help him. It took three years, IVF and miscarriages, to get my baby. I can't imagine... Yeah. I just can't imagine. This... I am so incredibly sorry, uh, letter writer, that you and your family are experiencing this. As someone who also struggles with depression and anxiety and who treats it with medication and therapy and who knows and loves people who do not and do not see the value in doing those things for themselves uh, or, or do not feel compelled to or willing to at this point. I can relate, but I, I, I can only imagine what that looks like um, in, in this sort of intimate relationship. What I feel most convinced of is, is that you cannot allow yourself to rationalize any part of your husband's behavior from treating his depression with video games to playfully mimicking suicide with props. Considering that this is somebody who deals with depression and anxiety uh, to the level that he does, and that this is somebody who threatens suicide when you show up late or don't respond to a text, right? Like these are deeply concerning behaviors and you know that your husband needs some help and some care that you are not capable of providing as you are not a professional trained to do such, but you may be perhaps the best person to help him to understand the value in turning to those uh, resources that you have, that you have looked outside of yourself. What was it that got you to that point? Have you always been open to the idea of therapy? Is it something that was normalized in your family? What is it that you think are the barriers between your husband and feeling like he can confidently or at least, you know, half-heartedly sit through a therapy session or consider uh, that he might need some help? And how have you addressed those things? Have you talked to your therapist? I think that would be an excellent person to help you strategize a way to help get your husband some help. I don't know your relationship to his family or his relationship to his family, but you may also need to talk to other loved ones, you know, perhaps his parents if he's close to them or a best friend or someone who might also be able to 
help hold up a mirror to his behavior and help him to recognize that it's not okay. But I, I, I think that this conversation really has to start with, uh, with your therapist because I, I worry for you and your mental health and the health and safety of your baby. And I don't like the idea of a new mother being in a household with somebody who grabs a knife for theatrical reasons to underscore a, a joke about his feelings that don't seem to be a joke at all. And I really think that you should make sure that you're also communicating with your loved ones right now and that you're not alone, that there are people that know what you're going through that are checking in, maybe popping in on you all unexpectedly, that there's an expectation that people are in the house and people are around you and people call. What do you think, Rebecca? I agree with everything you said. And, you know, there are many, many details in this email that are incredibly disturbing to me. The feigning suicide or joking about suicide after not responding to text is the most disturbing detail to me. That Mm -hmm. is a classic, classic coercive controlling behavior where a somebody um, uses fear to intimidate or change their partner's behavior to get them to conform or, or to be, to control them. The fear of uh, leaving, the fear of withholding finances, but the fear of self-harm is a very, very classic uh, coercive control behavior, no matter where it comes from, whether or not it comes from, you know, a genuine uh, sense of uh, desperation and, and depression or just something that someone says to control and abuse you. So that is incredibly concerning to me. I am very happy to hear that you are in counseling. I really encourage you to be extremely honest with your therapist about everything happening in your house. Another thing that I see in your email that is really, really common when we're discussing, you know, our loved ones issues and the way we feel about them is that we temper them by saying, I think that I'm having anxiety. I think that I'm maybe overreacting. I think that I'm, you know, maybe seeing this through a different lens because I had my son through IVF and it took a really long time. That's not being honest about what's going on. Like it is okay for you to say, I'm worried. I'm afraid. I'm I'm completely fucking over this. Like, it is okay for you to say those things to a trusted person who can help guide you through it. So I would start there. Um, Second, I would look at your relationship and say to yourself, is this the model for a marriage that I want my child to have as their primary model for a marriage? Do you want your child to grow up and be in a relationship like this where a person is so in denial about their issues that they're turning them around and then using those issues to do really upsetting behaviors? You have to think that way because we do, whether we like it or not, repeat the relationships that we see our parents have. Sometimes we get over it later in life and have really great relationships, but certainly our teenage relationships are very often mirrors of the ones that we grew up with. It's kind of a well-known thing. Um, Your husband says some things that are easy to argue, which is another reason why I... I'm leaning toward him having a certain type of personality. Like he's not telling you things you can't argue with. He's saying something like, I can't take medication because I'm type A and I don't have control over my own body. Well, guess what? 
you don't have control over your own body right now because your body is throwing chemicals at you that you cannot control. He's saying, I know more than a therapist. That's not true. He did not go, unless you left out this detail, to get his PhD in psychology or whatever to become a licensed therapist. Like, he did not do any of those things. That is that is patently untrue. But he's saying them as if they are true, which to me also speaks to sort of a level of unpleasantness that I do not want you living with right now. I just don't. Do you, do you, do you hear that too? Absolutely. And, you know, and, and I guess there's so much here, like you said, right? Like that I'm so stricken by the violence and the fear of, of you know, for him and of him. But like, you're the primary caregiver and breadwinner. What the fuck does he do? Right. If his depression is to the point where he is unable to work, then it absolutely should be addressed by a professional. The idea that he can self-medicate with video games while you raise your child and pay the bills, what purpose does this man serve? Hmm. I mean, would you, if, if it weren't depression, if it were another illness, would you accept self-medication with video games? And you'd say, get your fucking ass no. to a doctor. You have diabetes. Get you a doctor right now. Get your blood sugar tested. Get some insulin or whatever. Like, that's a big part of what's happening here. And frankly, you know, if he does not agree to go to counseling with you to go seek out his own help, you really need to think about the future of this relationship. I know that you have a baby. I know it's incredibly difficult, but you have to ask yourself, is this the relationship you want as the primary model for your child? And is this what you want the rest of your life to look like? These are really important questions, and the best place to begin asking them is with your therapist. But yes, another thing that you said, Jamila, that I really can't agree with enough is to maintain and strengthen connections with friends and family and be honest with them about what's going on. There's a lot of fear in situations like this where if I tell my sister or my best friend about what's really going on, that then she'll hate my husband, and then if mm -hmm. things get better, they'll never forgive them. That usually is not true. That is usually a fear that is instilled when you are in a coercive and controlling relationship. You have to keep this private because then people will see what's really going on and then they'll hate me or whatever. It's usually not true. Most people, I'm, I'm guessing because you are a quality person because you listen to this podcast, you have a lot, probably have a lot of caring and empathetic people in your life who would understand that mental illness is an illness and that if your husband's able to come through it and be a wonderful husband to you and a wonderful parent and a wonderful person in two years, they would be thrilled. They would not have a scarlet letter on him for the rest of his life. If you're feeling that way, that's just another signal. If you're feeling like you can't tell people, that is just another signal that you're yep. in a tremendously unhealthy and coercive and, and abusive relationship. And by the Absolutely. way, what you said about violence is dead on. Even mimicking the act of self-harm, mimicking the act of harm, everybody goes like this once and all, you know, like pretending to shoot themselves in the head when they're frustrated or whatever. But as a pattern of, of yep. constant behavior, that's like mimicking violence, which is violence. I mean, it's, 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 it's striking you as something your child could, could want to replicate, which would be violence, right? So you just got to keep all this stuff on the table and just lay it all bare, first with your therapist and with your closest friends and family, and, and really rethink the future of this relationship. Letter writer, uh, thinking of you, wishing you all the best, wishing you strength. And, you know, when it comes time to have that conversation with your loved ones, another factor that can make telling 
people we care about or who care about us difficult stuff that we're going through is embarrassment, right? Like, if only that you're embarrassed, why didn't you tell me sooner? There will be uncomfortable questions. Why did you keep this to yourself, right? And the longer, the, the more that you cringe at the idea of being embarrassed or them saying, why didn't you say something sooner? The longer time goes on without you saying anything, you know, just accept that you'll you'll have to answer some of those questions. Why did you keep this to yourself? Why didn't you tell me sooner? Um, are you safe? It may seem like they don't like your husband or that they're not rooting for him in this moment. And that's because they're concerned for you and for your baby, you know. But as Rebecca said, like, they want what's best for you. They care about you. So what they would want to see is him getting the help that he needs. Nobody's going to be happy with the current state of your marriage. No one's going to be okay with what's going on with your household. And that's okay. Just know that... um if you tell the, the people in your life that you care about uh, what you need in terms of support, if you let them know that you're going through this and that you, you know, that your plan is to try to get him into therapy and this is what you want to do, those who love you most are likely to be right there for you and have your back, you know, the whole way, no matter what. But I, I, I just... Please don't be isolated any more than you are. Because that's the thing I'm hearing so, like, that's screaming out to me from this letter is that there aren't people in your life who know this about you um, and and that you've been keeping a lot of things about this relationship to yourself. Um, and there's probably some other things. Because, again, I imagine that the person who's not just mimicking suicide and violence in front of a child and not just not working and not just caring for the child, but also... Uh, Self-medicating through video games is probably not much of a charmer, and I hope that his violence is limited to theatrical flourishes and expressions of his feelings and that the way that he treats you is better than what this letter would imply. But I guess in closing, I just want to also add, don't erase how you're being treated in this relationship from the story. When it comes time to talk to your therapist and it, when it comes time to talk to your loved ones. So you didn't share much other than he accuses you of nagging him and he refuses your ideas around therapy and medication. But um, if he's unkind to you, if he makes you feel unwelcome or unsafe or unsure in your own home, that is something that you need to address uh, immediately. I think she does feel unsafe. I mean, right now, her expression of feeling unsafe is, I'm afraid my child is going to hurt himself because if he was watching what his dad is doing. I mean, that is a feeling of lack of safety. You don't feel like your child is in a safe place. That is right. legitimate, a feeling of lack of safety. You know, I I can't... You, you you can only stay with this guy if he gets treatment. I mean, that's just... I'm just yeah, going to leave it there. It. I'm going to leave yeah. it there. Period. That's it. Remember, this is not of your own doing. These are circumstances that, you know, find us, that find the people we love. But um, it's important that you respond to them in a way that is uh, with the, the life and safety of you and your child in mind. Letter writer, wishing you all the best, uh, wishing you peace, safety, comfort, love and support. Please keep us updated. And we have linked contact information for the National Domestic Violence Hotline in our show notes. If you or anyone else listening uh, feels that you should reach out, you should. With that, uh, if you have parenting questions yourself, please feel free to send them in. Send an email to momanddad at slate.com. And before we get out of here, let's do some recommendations. 
Rebecca, what do you have for us? All right, mine is insane. Okay, okay. this actually may, may go really well with our Karen conversation we're going to have in five minutes. I was shopping with my stepdaughter, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and she is about to go into student teaching. She's an education program, a combo master's, bachelor. So she's like in like the classroom already. And she needs, you know, just like really straight work clothes, straight, you know, straight up pants that you can wear over and over again, you know, easy tops, it's comfortable, but professional enough. There is one place where I consistently find pants that are my favorite pants. And it is a place that I am always very embarrassed to say that I go but I was just able to convince my 21-year-old stepdaughter to try their pants, and she let me buy her two pairs because they were the only pants she tried on all day that were perfect. Are my you ready? My heart is racing. I'm so afraid. Are you I'm ready? I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. <laughs> it is that bastion of clothing for HR directors everywhere known as Chico's. Fucking Chico's. I knew you were going <laughs> to say Chico's. I knew it. No. They have one, they have one style. Don't not. I'm dead serious. I never buy anything else from that store. I stumbled on these pants by accident. They have this one style of very, very slim pull on pants in a very washable fabric that are trim, that fit well, that you can dress up, that you can dress down. I swear to God, like I buy these pants over and over and over again. And I find myself like sneaking with if I they don't, I don't let them give me a bag like I'll put the pants in a different bag because I am you know no offense if you love Chico's out there it's just not for me typically it does sort of give me that like you know boomer trying to look young vibes a lot of time but um they make good pants what can I say they've got some really good straight uh trim fitted black pants that you can throw in the washer sorry that's my recommendation Rebecca I have never been disappointed by a recommendation. I'm like, my heart is racing. I just, I have never set foot in Chico. I, maybe I went in there once or twice when I was a kid with my mother. Yeah. And like, I, she, like, I am so committed to never become, it can't happen to me. Right. Like, she, like that it can't, it won't, it can't. I, um, I, I, I just, I can't. I, I hear you. I hear you. I if I if I didn't find these pants, I'd never do it either. I I hear you. You can chico shame me. I'm 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 ready for it. Come on, bring it. I just <laughs> oh. <laughs> Again, this is probably really offensive to all the people out there who shop at Chico's, but it is objectively the place that women of a certain age go to feel quote sassy. And all the clothes in there are the least sassy freaking clothes you'll ever see in your on entire Earth. life. On Earth. A leopard print tunic is not sassy, guys. It's just not. Oh, it's just not. <laughs> and I say this in a closet that looks like National Geographic. Okay, There's more <laughs> leopard print in here. I literally have a leopard printed life. And I'm telling I'm you. I'm sure it's not boxy leopard print, though. Like a giant boxy. square. Or, or, or a pair. That's what it is. Rebecca, their their clothes are squares. They're, they're <laughs> like they're like rectangles, actually. Yes. You know, like the yes. shirts. Wow. Yes, yes. Okay. and having having recently been you know fairly overweight, I've lost a bunch of weight, and I like thought, oh, maybe I was just buying my pants there because I they fit. No, I, they still. I'm like a zero at Chico's now. A zero, of course, is an actual size, it's not a zero. It's actually like a size six because they have that weird one through four sizing, which is really fucking stupid. Oh my god. Uh, but um, yeah, the pants, man, the pants, all oh, the pants. What can I say? The one, there's one. There's only one i've tried another there's only one style and you'll know it when you see it it is the trim or slim uh fitted uh pant it's great it's just great so my recommendation i've literally changed that to 
um, counteract Chico's. So Jazzy Bell Swim. It's Jazzy, J-A-Z-Z-Y, Bell, B-E-L-L-E, swim.com. These are full coverage, quote unquote, bikinis for busty women. I say quote unquote because your boobs will be covered, but these are skimpy bikinis and they are fun. I got one. It's cute and it's owned by a young black woman. She's independent, um, small business, love shopping small, love shopping black. I asked Twitter for busty bathing suit recommendations, and I guess I wasn't clear enough that, like, I meant, like, slutty bathing suits. You got Land's End recommendations, didn't you? I got so many Land's End (laughs) recommendations. (laughs) And, like, like Bare Essentials, which honestly is where I buy my bathing suit tops. But I did. I did get Bare Essentials. And I bought things from Bare Essentials. And there are things that I bra bathing suits they have are great. You buy your bra size, and the suit fits great. It's fantastic. I know. It's just that it's high. I'm like, I want my ass out. Nice. I want my bra bra to fit and also to have my ass out. And there are very few swimsuits that are allow you to do that and jazzy bell swim does that so that is a full hearted endorsement uh so put it under your chicos go to chicos and surprise the world underneath it with your super sexy super skimpy jazzy bell swim uh bathing suit you can live the best of both worlds (laughs) you can do it all you can be every woman it's all in you Thank you so much for listening, everyone. This was fun. And Rebecca, of course, thank you for coming back to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. I loved being here. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Jamila Lemieux.